I'm Janet Machen with Machen & Sons Farms in Lampasas, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Always glad to be back with you for another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the grain and cotton markets just continue to climb higher. Boy, Monday was a heck of a day when it came to grain and cotton prices, especially the wheat market. We are in stratospheric territory now with wheat prices. We'll take a closer look at that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Terry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture from the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. In the Texas High Plains, a major drought continues, but there have been some recent rains and one northeastern Panhandle County is really benefiting. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Proper irrigation practices can allow turf grass to survive even in a drought. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have more from horticulturist John Begno on Texas Ag Today. As temperatures begin to increase and the chances of rainfall seem to be weakening, it's important to consider the effect this will have on any herbicide applications. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. India announced this week they will ban wheat exports as part of their country's food security policy, and that caused the wheat market to climb ever higher. On Monday, the market was limit up on that news, with prices topping $13.50 a bushel. And that news comes on top of a bullish USDA crop report released late last week, showing a lower-than-expected winter wheat crop this year. USDA Chief Economist Seth Meyer says we're looking at large abandonment rates here in Texas due to drought. That winter wheat crop coming in below expectations and with pretty high abandonment rates, the biggest abandonment rate since 2002, high levels of abandonment in Oklahoma and Texas. And I think that's very much the reality that the market is looking at right now. And we're expecting to see a large abandonment rate in cotton this year, too. About double the level as it was last year. That's USDA Outlook Board Chairman Mark Jekinowski. He says we'll probably end up with a cotton crop of about 16.5 million bales. That's a million lower than last year. And that could draw down cotton stocks and raise prices. And prices remaining strong right now, record or near record high. Season average price for the 2021 crop, we raised to uh, 92 cents per pound. And even though we have it coming down at CAD in the new crop year at 90 cents a pound, that's still a very strong price. Old crop cotton topped $1.50 a pound on Monday, while new crop traded near $1.40. A federal judge has declared a Texas drone law to be unconstitutional. 
Texas A&M Ag Law Specialist Tiffany Dowell-Lashman says the ruling strikes down both the surveillance penalties and the no-fly provisions in current Texas law. So how will this affect Texas farmers and ranchers? So on the one hand, for folks that are using drones in their farming operation, uh, this statute not being in existence might actually be a bit of a protection for them in, in that nobody could make a claim now that they would be violating that uh, no surveillance provision. Now, on the flip side of that, if you're a landowner who's concerned about people flying drones over your property and capturing imagery, I think now there is a concern because this statute at least offered some form of protection if someone did that and you could prove that they had intent to conduct surveillance, there were civil or criminal penalties that could be imposed. Again, with that statute stricken, those penalties are out the window. Dowell Lashman says there are still some other laws on the books that could help to protect agricultural operations from drone surveillance. At least one Texas Panhandle County has received good rains in the middle of this awful drought. James Hunt has the story. While most of the Texas High Plains remains dramatically short on rainfall, one very notable exception is Hemp Hill County in the northeastern Panhandle. Last week, one storm delivered about one to four inches of rain to various locations, and that event followed some other recent showers in Hemp Hill County, where the extension agent is Andy Holloway. This rain that we've had here in this area is really getting our spring going and things are greening up and looking really pretty and out where the wildfire was it just looks like a garden spot right now yes as many of you will recall Hemphill county suffered a massive wildfire back in late march that consumed about 39,000 acres so it's nice to hear of that recovery but holloway says that damaged rangeland is not ready yet for livestock producers need to stay off of that country and let it rest let that regrowth with this late spring and early summer rain have an opportunity to help those plants root down and really get reestablished post-fire. And I think if people will do that, they'll be real pleased with how their range reestablishes and the outcome of this whole situation. As much as the rains have been welcome, Holloway is mindful his county's recent experience is very much the exception to the rule. This rain has not been general throughout the panhandle. And we're just very blessed and fortunate over here in our neck of the Texas Panhandle to have gotten these rain. But most of the rest of the Panhandle has either had very little rain or spotty rains or no rain. And I know that people are really quite concerned. This drought is bearing down on a lot of people. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas turf grass is a big business. Tom Nicoletti tells us turf grass can be bought at a reasonable price because it's a local industry. Horticulturist John Begno joins me again from the Texas Concho Valley to talk more about turf grass options. What we are seeing is people are realizing that not everything needs to be turf grass. There are areas in a landscape that you can eliminate turf grass because consumes too much water or is not useful. But it's okay to have some space dedicated in your landscape to turf grass. And now you can get it usually at a very reasonable price because it's grown close to an area where it's going to be consumed and used. And even though Texas is going through this current drought, 
If managed properly, the turf grass will survive? Turf grass can survive in dry conditions if you know how to irrigate it. First of all, you want to choose the proper turf grass, and that's what these growers are doing. They're growing the Bermuda types and the buffalo types and the types of grass that one will grow in the area close to where they're growing it, and that will consume less water or exhibit healthy stature during dry time. And so you as a consumer want to make sure that if St. Augustine is what you want, but it consumes more water and you don't have that water, then we try to choose a variety or a cultivar species that is better adapted. And you're seeing plant breeders that are breeding plants and selecting different types of grass for drier conditions. So if you're on a water your turf grass, you don't set the irrigation system on light, frequent applications of water, you want to encourage deeper roots. And so infrequent, larger amounts of water up to an inch to an inch and a half of water a week are usually recommended by most experts. That is San Angelo horticulturist John Begno. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The hot temperatures have come early this year. Forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson says we need to keep that in mind when using pasture herbicides. Treating weeds or brush with a leaf spray application when temperatures are high will usually result in poor control for several reasons. When temperatures exceed 90 degrees Fahrenheit, plants will slow down their growth and will not move the herbicide down to the roots. Additionally, insect damage during this time of year also decreases the amount of leaf available to take in the herbicide. Finally, hot temperatures make leaves waxier, a trait used by plants to retain moisture, but will decrease the herbicide's ability to move into the leaf. When spraying with high temperatures, time your applications for early in the morning when temperatures are not as high. Never spray when temperatures exceed 90 degrees Fahrenheit. During morning hours, weeds will take in herbicides rapidly and translocate them to all areas of the plant. Later in the day, when the sun is hot, stomates close to conserve water. Some herbicides are especially susceptible to volatilization So care should be taken to protect desirable plants from accidental movement of the herbicide. Refer to the product label for specific recommendations on herbicide usage during hot and dry conditions. Ideal temperatures for applying most post-emergent herbicides are between 65 and 85 degrees Fahrenheit. For herbicide recommendations for weed control, contact your local county extension agent. If weeds are a persistent problem, careful analysis of current management strategies may be necessary to determine the underlying causes for the dilemma. In most instances, management strategies involving the use of the appropriate stocking rate and a good soil fertility program will do much to alleviate the weed problem. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. The Texas Wildlife Association is bringing back a popular lunchtime webinar series. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And one of the newest methods to treat equine wounds is carbon dioxide therapy. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Break out your camera and snap a pic for the Texas Farm Bureau Photo Contest. You or someone you know can share your best photo with the entire Lone Star State and maybe win some cash, like $250 for first place, $200 for second place, and $100 for honorable mention. The contest is open to Texas Farm Bureau members or an immediate family member. 
Rural settings and lifestyles are the preferred themes for all submissions, and contestants are limited to one entry per person. Top four winners will be selected and published in the July edition of Texas Agriculture and the summer edition of Texas Neighbors. Snap your pick now for the Texas Farm Bureau Photo Contest. The entry deadline is June 1st. Visit TexasFarmBureau.org for complete contest rules. That's TexasFarmBureau.org. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. One of the newest methods to treat horse wounds is carbon dioxide therapy. But Dr. Bob Judd says the effectiveness of this treatment is questionable. Dr. Angela Gazer from the University of Pennsylvania indicated at the AAEP convention that carbon dioxide therapy does not appear to speed wound healing in horses, but might decrease the size of the wound. Lower limb injuries in horses are difficult to heal due to skin tension, lack of underlying soft tissue, and the high motion of the legs, which leads to proud flesh. Carbon dioxide has shown promise in humans with chronic wounds due to diabetes, and so a study was performed in horses on wound healing and skin graft acceptance. The researchers studied six horses with small and large wounds on the forelegs and monitored healing over 28 days. Carbon dioxide was applied to one leg for 20 minutes, and the control leg was only treated with room air, and the horses received 11 treatments. After one week, 10 skin grafts were applied to the large wounds, and all wounds were examined on the 28th day. It was a blinded study, meaning the veterinarians that evaluated the wounds did not know which treatment was used on which wounds. The healing, presence of proud flesh, and biopsies were examined. Results indicated that there was no difference in the rate of healing between the carbon dioxide-treated wounds and those treated with just room air. The study indicated that there was also no difference in skin graft acceptance rates as skin grafts were successful in wounds treated with room air or carbon dioxide. The larger wounds treated with carbon dioxide were significantly smaller than wounds treated with room air, and the horses were not followed until healing was complete. But you would think the smaller wounds would heal faster. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Wildlife Association is bringing back a popular lunchtime webinar series. Jessica Domel tells more about it in today's Wildlife Report. If you're interested in wildlife and wildlife management, you may want to mark a few dates down on your calendar. The Texas Wildlife Association is bringing back its Wildlife for Lunch webinar series under a new name, Wild at Work, a Stewardship Series. Amanda Gobley, Conservation Education Specialist at the Texas Wildlife Association, says the quarterly webinars will focus on a variety of topics. Part of the reason behind the slight title change here is that we're going to be addressing relevant topics for basically anybody who's interested in either land stewardship or general wildlife management. For the very first webinar coming up on the 26th, the topic is going to be how monitoring informs management. So we'll be discussing some of the ways that land managers are able to gather information on the species of interest on their property and also on like the habitat quality on their property and how that data can potentially influence their management decisions. Some subsequent topics we have planned are what is a conservation easement, how grazing can be used as a tool for management, as well as updates on hot topics like chronic wasting disease. The first webinar will be from noon to 1 p.m. Thursday, May 26th. During that webinar, Gobali will discuss how monitoring informs management. The webinars are free. 
You can RSVP on the Texas Wildlife Association website. That is texas-wildlife.org. Texas-wildlife.org. The focus of future webinars and their dates will be posted on the TWA website as they become available. Again, the first webinar is noon to 1 p.m. on May 26th. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle market put in a lower close on Tuesday in both live and feeder cattle, but the wheat market just continues to climb out of sight. We'll take a closer look at all of Tuesday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. On the Texas Ag Calendar, livestock producers in the Kerr County area have the Kerr County Ranch Field Day coming up Tuesday, May 24th at the Hill Country Youth Event Center in Kerrville. County Extension Agent Justin Klinzik is with us. And Justin, what will be happening at the Kerr County Ranch Field Day? I'm going to start the day out with proper weaning techniques for cattle, sheep, and goats and how that kind of benefits marketability. I'm going to discuss impacts of proper grazing and overgrazing. Morgan Livestock Equipment is going to bring in a mobile working pen, and we're going to get to do some live cattle handling and demonstrations with that. Dr. Joe Passel is going to talk about the benefits of pregnancy testing and demonstrate the IDEX alert pregnancy blood test. And we're going to round out the day with Dr. Sonia Swiger from AgriLife Extension, and she's going to talk about parasite control in livestock. The Kerr County Ranch Field Day coming up May 24th. If you need more information, call the Extension Office at 830-257-6568. If you would like to have your agricultural event featured here on the Texas Ag Calendar, just shoot me an email, cmartin, C-M-A-R-T-I-N, at txfb.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle complex put in a lower close on Tuesday, both live and feeder cattle ending in the red. June live cattle down 17 cents at 133 even. August down 42 at 133.47. October live cattle down 32 cents, 139.52. May feeder cattle down 22 at 157.17. August feeders down 65, 166.77. September feeder cattle down 82 cents at 169.22. Cash fed cattle market already seeing some sales on Tuesday to kick off the week. Up in Iowa, we had a few thousand cattle sell live at 142. That's two bucks lower compared to last week. Here in the south, same thing. Light movement of cattle selling at 138. That again, $2 lower compared to last week's business. Boxed beef prices higher on Tuesday. Choice was up 73 cents, 261.04. Select up 341 at 249.08. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with J.R. Gully. On the line now with Riley Rhodes of Live Oak Livestock in Three Rivers. Riley, how was the Monday sale? Well, it went good, uh, Jr. You know, I thought it might be a little bit cheaper after all the features and everything from last week um, off. But uh, oh, I, you know, some of the lighter weight calves were I thought were uh, sold higher than last week. Uh, the heavier calves uh, pretty much sold steady with what we've had. Uh, ended up with 1,746 head. Uh, we did have a lot of those stocker cows we're talking about. Our cow calf pairs sold anywhere from 925 up to 15 and a quarter. 
the bred cows, uh, seven and a quarter up to 1,300. The packer cows and bulls were pretty much steady money with last week, uh, 82 to 88 on your high-yielding cows, 74 to 80 on your breakers, 26 to 58 on your canners. Uh, the packer bulls, 96 to six on your high-yielding bulls, 80 to 96 on your low to medium-yielding bulls. The two to three weight choice steers, 178 to 206. Heifer mates, 158 to 182. Uh, three to four weight choice steers, 176 to 204. The heifer mates, 154 to 170. Four to five weight choice steers, 174 to 202. Heifer mates, 148 to 166. The five to six weight choice steers, 168 to 194. Heifer mates, 148 to 164. Six to seven weight choice steers, 144 to 162. Heifer mates, 132 to 146. And the seven to eight weight cattle, uh, the uh, choice steers, 132 to 148. And their heifer mates, 126 to 140. So pleased with it. Uh, had good volume. Uh, had a few extra orders in the house today. And I uh, got along real well. I was real pleased with it. Riley, tell folks how to get a hold of you there at Live Oak Livestock. 361-786-2553 is the office. 361-813-6650 is my cell phone uh, webpage, liveoaklivestock.com. And just want to mention, we uh, right now we are planning on having a sale on Memorial Day. That's a couple weeks away, but uh, we will be open. Unless we get a whole lot of rain between now and then, we will have a sale on Memorial Day. All right, Riley. We appreciate the report and talk to you soon. Thank you, JR. This has been Walking the Pins from the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm JR Gully in for Larry Marble. Good day. Thanks, JR. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs closed higher again on Tuesday. June hogs up a dollar thirty-two, one oh five fifteen. July hogs up two ninety-five at one oh seven seventy-five. Class three milk was higher, May milk up a penny, twenty-five dollars even. June milk up nineteen cents at twenty-four sixty, a hundred weight. The cotton market pulled back after that big run-up we had on Monday. We closed lower, especially on the nearby July old crop contract. It dropped 219 points to close at 148.46. October cotton down 60 points, 139.01. December down 60, closing at 132.36. Same story in the corn market. Pulling back a bit on Tuesday after the big run-up we had Monday. July corn down eight and three quarters, eight dollars and three quarters of a cent. September corn down five and a quarter, seven seventy two and three quarters. December corn down four and three quarters at seven sixty and three quarters. Different story, however, in the wheat market. No pullback there. We had the limit up move on Monday, up 70 cents across the board. Then on Tuesday, we followed through with even more gains. A lot of factors pushing this wheat market higher. Yesterday, we talked about India restricting wheat exports as part of their food security policy. That's boosting the market higher. Also, these 100-degree temperatures we're having here in Texas and other areas of the Southern Plains, that just further deteriorates the wheat that is out there waiting to be harvested. All of that boosting prices higher again on Tuesday, July, Kansas City wheat up 15 and three quarters, 1367 and three quarters. July, Chicago wheat was up 30 cents. 1277 and a half. In the energy markets, June natural gas up 33 cents, 829. June crude oil down 237 at 111.83 a barrel. The financial markets were higher Tuesday afternoon. The Dow up 431 points, 32,654. The Nasdaq up 321 points at 11,984. The S&P up 80 at 4,088. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. 
I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Thank you.